What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I am delighted to talk to Dr. Mustafa Katab. You are most welcome, sir. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, Mustafa received his PhD in Islamic studies from Al-Azhar University's Faculty of Languages and Translation and held the position of lecturer at Al-Azhar University for over 10 years. He is also a member of the Canadian Council of Imams and a Fulbright Interfaith Scholar. Perhaps he is most famous as the translator of the Clear Quran, which is here. And that's a beautiful cover, by the way. It's very, very nice. Um, The translation has been officially approved by Al-Azhar and endorsed by the Canadian Council of Imams and many Muslim organizations and scholars worldwide. So I would like to begin, if I may, by asking a really fundamental question. Why is the Quran so central to the life of Muslims? Well, thank you. Uh, This is a very good question. Uh, We know that we as human beings are very intelligent, but sometimes we disagree. So let's say, for example, uh, here in, in Canada, um, marijuana, weed has been legalized in the last couple of years. I see. So let's say if I smoke weed here in Toronto mm-hmm. and I drive one hour to the south, uh, New York, Buffalo, New York is only one hour away from here. Right. If I cross the border and I have marijuana or weed with me, I'm going to be arrested in Buffalo, even though it's, it's legal in Canada. Canada and the U.S. are two democracies, first world but they disagree on the legality of marijuana. And the same goes for so many different things, Uh, mercy killing, uh, so many different things. Uh, Also, at some point in history, apartheid was legal in South America and the Jim Crow laws in the U.S. that, you know, black people were, were not as equal as white people and so on and so forth. And I'm talking about intelligent people. Uh, Women were allowed to vote only 70 years ago, right? So in these democracies and in these 
uh, first world countries, they still debate and disagree on certain concepts. Mm. How do you settle this debate? We need a higher authority. And this is how we look at the Quran. The, the Quran is a higher authority from God. He created us and he sent us our manufacturer's manual, the Quran, to teach us this is what you need to do when you disagree. This is good for you. This is bad for you. So the Quran, the way we see it as Muslims, is like the manufacturer's manual that comes with your phone or with your car. It tells you how to function in the best way as an individual, as a family, and as a society. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very interesting. Now, you, you held up your copy, and I have my copy of uh, the Quran. <laughs> um, now, I understand, because uh, you told me earlier on, there are about 150 translations of the Quran in English alone that have been made in the last 100, 200 years or so. So yes. why do we need yet another translation? Why have you produced this translation when we have so many translations to choose from already? I think if we understand the nature of the Quran, we will be able to explain this uh, issue. Mm. So we have powers, we have knowledge, we can talk, but our talk, our speech is nothing compared to God and our ability and our knowledge is nothing compared to his. Uh, Only the Quran in Arabic is perfect. Mm. And we as human beings, we have limitations. And this is why every generation has a different understanding of the Quran, a different layer of understanding. And this is why there are always new tafsirs or exegesis in, uh, in Arabic that come out all the time. From the time of the companions like uh, Ibn Abbas, the, who, who was related to the Prophet, uh, the rest of the companions, some of them, they gave in their own interpretations, the following generations, until this day, they always find gems in the Quran. And by the same extension, translations are tafsir or exegesis, but not in Arabic, in a different language, in English or French or any other language for that matter. So when I look at the Quranic translations, uh, everyone is gifted in a different way. Even the, uh, the scholars of exegesis in the Arabic language, uh, everyone had a specialization. So if you look at Al-Qurtubi, he looked at the jurisprudence or the fiqh in the Quran. Uh, if you look at someone like Al-Kashaf, Zamakhshari is a big scholar of, he, he was a linguist. He looked at the Quran from a linguistic point of view. So everyone focus on the tafsir or the understanding of the Quran based on their niche or uh, their uh, expertise. In the same way, when you look at different translations, uh, some translators have been, you know, were qualified, many were not. Because for you to translate the Quran, just like any profession, like a doctor, you have to have some training, you have to have some expertise to be able to, to, to practice. And if you look at many people who translated the Quran, they were not qualified to translate, sorry to say, in the first place. Uh, Because historically, in the last 200, 300 years, uh, the Quran was not translated uh, basically by Muslims, except um, in the first half of the 20th century, which means for about 1300 years, the Quran was only translated by missionaries and uh, Orientalists and so on and so forth. So Muslims in the Indian subcontinent, because, you know, the British came with their missionaries and they had their own 
mistranslations of the Quran. So the, the uh, Muslim, first Muslim translations were reactionary. They wanted to respond. Right. But the first people who started to translate the Quran, they were not particularly uh, qualified to translate because Arabic is not their native tongue. English is not their native tongue. They speak Hindu or Urdu. So basically they learned both to be able to translate. And uh, in the process, they made mistakes. Other translators who came after Muslim and non-Muslims, you know, sometimes they copied older translations. And this is why you still see words like infidel and holy war. We don't have these words in the Arabic, but they just copy outdated uh, translations. So for someone to translate the Quran, they have to be qualified and so on and so forth. And every translator, uh, you know, they look at previous translations, they see shortcomings. So they come in to fill in the gap and to do something better, just like I did with the clear Quran. Maybe someone is going to come after five, 10 years and say, oh, this is not a good translation. And they are going to do something better. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. No translation is perfect. So we have to agree on this one. The only thing that is perfect is the Arabic text. And this is why you will always see new attempts to right. translate the Quran, making it uh, accessible and relatable to uh, people of our time. So just to clarify, for, for Muslims, th- this book here, um, which contains your translation, is not actually the Quran, is it? This is, it is not. It's a translation of the Quran. So, yes. uh, so it, we use the Quran for the Arabic text. Yeah. The English is uh, the humble human effort to explain the divine. Right. So, yeah, so it's not the English translation is not infallible. It's not the inerrant word of God, the original Arabic revelation is then. That's an important distinction because uh, often with Christian Bibles, not that they're the same thing I know, but people think, oh, well, my, my Bible in English is the word of God. That is what God has inspired. But of course, it's not the original language, not even the language necessarily Jesus spoke even. So uh, it's an important distinction, I think. Yeah, this is why when missionaries, for example, use English translations to say that the Quran has mistakes, contradictions, and they refer to the English translations, mm. not the Arabic. They're totally different things, yeah. right? Yeah. So the Arabic has no contradictions, no mistakes. Right. Translators make mistakes, but not the Arabic. Right. So okay. they need to make the distinction. Okay. Now, I mentioned briefly uh, the Bible, but a, a, a question or a, a criticism of the Quran or an allegation made about the Quran by, uh, by some people was basically, was the Quran copied? from the Bible. How do you account for the similarities between the Quran and the Bible, they say, especially historical stories such as that of Joseph, Moses, and Jesus? So this is a really an, an argument against the divine origin of the Quran by saying, well, it's copied from the Bible. How can it be divine? Well, how would you respond to that, do you think? 
Well, all Muslims agree that the uh, the old the uh, Injil, the gospel that was given to Jesus, and the Torah that was revealed to Moses, the Psalms that was given to uh, David, and the scrolls of Abraham, all these revelations they came from the same source. Right. However, they were not preserved the same way that the Quran has been preserved. Uh, the Quran has been memorized, cover to cover, by the Prophet, thousands of his companions, millions of Muslims throughout history, including myself. So I completed my memorization at the age of 12. I've wow. seen kids at the age of five or six, they memorize the Quran in Arabic. And it's interesting to know that most of the people who win international Quran competitions, the memorization competitions every year, they don't even speak the Arabic language. We're talking about people from Indonesia, Nigeria, uh, other places. So the Quran has been written down from the time of the Prophet. Uh, the Quran has been memorized and so on and so forth. And the, the Bible has not been treated the same way. And this is why there are always editions and versions. You know, the Catholic Bible has you know, seven extra chapters that the Protestant Bible uh, doesn't have and, and, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, you can read about this. Uh, also, when you read the stories in the Quran and in the Bible, there are some similarities. But when you dig deeper, there are major differences. Um, so both the Bible and the Quran, they talk about God's nature. Uh, God is loving and caring. Uh, they talk about universal values, the need to be kind and generous and good to everyone. But the theology is different. Mm. So if you look at the New Testament, for example, you know, there is the focus on the divine nature of Jesus and um, salvation and Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, and the Quran talks, uh, you know, the opposite about these things. So uh, there's no Trinity in the Quran, just one. Jesus was not crucified and, and so on and so forth. Uh, so these are some of the differences. And uh, if you start at the book of uh, Genesis, for example, it puts the blame completely on Eve for the fall from the garden. And the Quran gives you the opposite. If you go to chapter 20, it says that Adam made a mistake. Mm. So it puts the blame on Adam, even though both of them ate, but it, put, it clearly puts the, uh, the blame on, uh, on, uh, on Adam. Uh, there, there are so many, uh, so many examples, like when you read in the Quran, for example, you will see some miracles of Jesus in the Quran that are not in the Bible. Yeah, I can give you three now. Uh, one of them, the fact that Jesus spoke when he was only a few days old to defend his, the dignity of his mother. Mm. Uh, when he created birds out of clay and breathed into them and they became birds and they flew away. And also when the disciples demanded a sign when he first introduced his message to them, he said, what do you want? They said, we need a table full of food to come down from heaven. Mm. These three are not there. Um, there is also the story of uh, Moses and the man of knowledge known as Al-Khadr, who is mentioned in chapter 18. This story is not in, in the Bible. The Bible has some stories like Isaiah, and this story is not in the Quran. Um, and so on and so forth. And, and also, if the prophet copied the Quran from the Bible, how come that he didn't copy some of those, you know, well-known contradictions in, in the Bible? Like I know a student uh, in Egypt, uh, you know, the, he was copying the answer sheet of the student who was sitting next to him. Mm -hmm. He copied the correct answers and the wrong answers, <laughs> including the guy's name. 
Oh, <laughs> oh dear. He didn't know, but the prophet couldn't read or write. How about the scientific uh, miracles in the Quran? How the baby develops inside the mother, the expansion of the universe, everything was created from water and so on and so forth. This information is not in the Bible. So he couldn't have copied it from there because it is not there. But, but, but some of these, uh, particularly missionaries, will say, well, there's the, some of the stories you mentioned about Jesus speaking in the, in the womb uh, and so on are found in apocryphal gospels uh, from the early church. So it looks as if he's got the information from there. So how would you respond to that? Because they're, they're not in the Bible, we agree, but they're found in other Christian uh, sources. Well, there are so many other information. You know, I, I gave some examples, but there are so many other details like the scientific data and, uh, you know, the stories that are in the Quran that are not in the Bible and, and vice versa. And some of the predictions, things that were going to happen in the future, which actually actually came true. Mm. And these things are not in the Bible. Like, let's say, for example, the story of the Romans being defeated by the Persians mm. and how the Quran predicted that the Romans are going to win, uh, you know, within three to nine years. This is not in the Bible. It's not even in Apocrypha, you know. Uh, so there are so many different things. And there are some also details in the Quran uh, that don't exist elsewhere. Like, let's say, for example, uh, the story of the women in Sora, Joseph, Yusuf, uh, when uh, Joseph came in front of them, they were so shocked by his beauty, they cut off, you know, they cut their fingers. Or the story of Noah in chapter 11, uh, when he called his son to be on board the ark with him and he refused. Uh, these details are not in the Bible. They cannot be found anywhere. And it's very interesting. Every time the Quran mentions a piece of information or a detail, a historical incident that is not in the Bible, the Quran says, you, Prophet Muhammad, were not there. Oh, yeah. Nobody knew about this. How did you know about these things? It's yeah. by divine revelation. So we agreed that both the Quran and the previous uh, revelations like the gospel and, and the Torah, they came from the divine source, but because the Quran has been preserved and these previous books have been uh, preserved in the proper way, you will always find differences because the Quran, the, the Bible is always being edited. There's always a new version all the time. And because of this, th there are also uh, discrepancies between the two, uh, two books. Okay. Um, but the next question really is, is it something I, I, I'm sure all readers of the Quran uh, in English or Arabic will notice? Why does God, when he is speaking in the Quran, seem to alternate between speaking in the third person to the first person? So uh, we or he, and sometimes we see a change from the first person, I, to the third person, we, or the second person, you, then to switch to the third person so this seems to be a feature of god's speech in the quran why is why is this this alternate alternation between persons in the in the quran do you think yeah that's a very good point uh, we call it iltifat in arabic in mm. arabic uh, eloquence uh, rhetoric we call it iltifat like turning of pronouns mm. and a good example for this um, you will find it in at the beginning of chapter 17 verse 1 so right. it says, he, we, he, right? So this is a rhetorical device that is usually used in the Quran. So when God speaks about something so powerful or something that is very miraculous, uh, or when he talks about creating and providing, God right. usually speaks in the plural, the plural, the what we call the royal we. Mm. 
Yeah. Just like the queen in, in the UK, it says yeah. we the queen. By the way, she's your queen as well in Canada, by the way. I just thought. Yes. I OK. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, yes. I agree. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's called the Royal Week. Yeah. Uh, and also as a show of magnificence and majesty, uh, especially when God talks about his ability to create and bring people back to life for judgment, he always uses we. But it's very interesting. Every single time that God says we in the Quran, he uses I or he or God right before or after to remind you that he is one. Wow. Every single time. Wow. Interesting. I didn't know that. Interesting. So, what, what, okay, so we've got the majesty of God, the, the, the royal we, uh, I get that. So why would he then use uh, he? Okay, is it just to emphasize the, the unity of God or, or is there more a, a different dynamic at work in God's relationship with people or his creation when he uses yeah. the It's a different dynamic to, to show magnitude in the, in the Arabic language. So, mm. for example, if, I, if I'm talking to you, Paul, Paul did me wrong, mm. right? So if I say... You did me wrong. I'm going to show you what Mustafa Khattab, what he is going to do to you. Mm. So we do this turning of pronouns in the Arabic language to, as, uh, to show magnitude. Right. Like this, even though I'm talking, right. I'm using the third person to show magnitude, the, right. the massive punishment that is coming your way, or maybe the reward as well. Okay. Like I'm talking to you, you, you know, uh, Mustafa, he is going to make you a millionaire, right? Oh. So th this is the sense we use it in the Arabic language, just so magnitude. Very interesting. Oh, that's fascinating. A fascinating example. Thank you for that. Now, and also, okay. one more thing. When yes. God talks to people, like the people who deny him or deny his ability to bring them back to life, when he talks to them like you, then sometimes he says, they, like you are so insignificant I'm not going to continue talking to you. I'm going to talk about you in the third person as if you don't exist. You don't matter to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are so many, uh, you know, rhetorical dynamics that yeah, are happening yeah. in, in the Quran. That's great. But great because great this, yeah. this style is not used in the English language, sometimes the whole point is, is missed. Yes, yeah. Oh, that's a fascinating explanation, actually. And just moving on to um, a more controversial um, area of uh, allegedly controversial area of the Quran's teaching, and that is verse 434. Now, um, probably the most respected or one of the most respected academic translations is that of Professor Abdul Halim. He's a professor here in London at SOAS. He's one of the world's greatest uh, Arabic translators. And he's, his translation is published by Oxford University Press and there it is. I do rec recommend this, by the way, as well. I'd like to ask you about a particular verse, which is translated quite differently in your translation. So I'm going to look at Abdul Halim's translation of this verse to begin with, 434. I'll just uh, get it here. Ooh. So in this uh, translation, he writes... If you fear high-handedness from your wives, remind them of the teachings of God. Then ignore them in bed, then hit them. If they obey you, you have no right to act against them. God is most high and great. Now, the particular clause I want to focus on is this: these three words in English, then hit them or strike them in other translations. Um, that's Abdul Halim. And in your um, translation of the same verse, I'll, I'll just read it. 
And if you sense ill conduct from your women, advise them first. If they persist, do not share their beds. But if they still persist, then discipline them lightly. But if they change their ways, do not be unjust to them. Surely God is most high, most great. So can you talk us through the reasoning behind your translation, which is considerably softer, shall we say, than uh, Abdul Halim's translation and why they are different? What, 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 do you, uh, what is your working, your reasoning in this translation? That's here? good. That's a very good question. And this is one of the very uh, controversial concepts in the Quran. Mm. But I, as a translator, when I look at the Quran in Arabic, um, of course, Abdul Halim is a highly respected translation, and I used it as one of my references. Uh, so basically, I asked myself, uh, is, the, is this the only verse that deals with the family dynamics in the Quran? Did the Prophet, peace be upon him, say anything about this issue? Because this verse, we believe it was not said in a vacuum. The, there are so many other verses and so many uh, statements uh, from the prophet that deal with this issue. So we look at all the verses and we look at all the uh, uh, teachings from the prophet. And I have this in my mind when I translate. There are two styles when people translate. Uh, Imam al-Fakhr al-Razi, al-Razi, al-Fakhr al-Razi, one of the greatest uh, uh, in interpreters of the Quran in Arabic. He passed yeah. away centuries ago. Yeah. He says, words in the Quran... They're just like human beings. So there is the physical body and there is the spirit within. Right. So uh, trans uh, translators, uh, for example, uh, Dr. Abdul Halim, when he translated, he looked at the physical body. But when I translated, I looked at the spirit within. So this is what the word uh, means in this case. Daraba. This is what it means. I look at the sayings of the prophet. He said that dignified men don't beat their wives. He himself never hit a wife or a servant, uh, and so on and so forth. And he said that men and women, they're like twin brothers and sisters and so on and so forth. Uh, of course, when you look at the historical background, some of the scholars say it talks about the wife uh, being condescendent or looking down upon her husband, mistreating him, and so on and so forth. And some scholars actually say that this verse talks about sexual misconduct. And that this, this ruling was uh, abrogated by later revelations that talk about the punishment for uh, adultery and fornication and, and so on and so forth. So it's a big discussion among the scholars, but I believe based on my understanding of other verses in the Quran and statements from the Prophet, peace be upon him, I believe that discipline is the right way. Because when you use hit, or maybe Yusuf Ali, he said, strike, others yeah. say spank. Yeah. Um, th th these words have a bad connotation. And they, when they read the word hit or strike, they wouldn't get the same concept that I as an Arab get when I read the Arabic word daraba, given the fact that the prophet said so many things about this uh, concept, you know, being with something small like a tooth stick and just to show, to show objection or disapproval and, and so on and so forth. And it, it would be much easier to just give her divorce than to start a fight with her. Because mm -hmm. uh, technically, if the husband is abusive, then her guardian, her brothers, her father would come and fix him up or, you know, deal with him. It's not like the wife is, is, is on her own, right. right? But again, the whole issue should be looked at from 
uh, in a holistic manner, not just taking a word out of context and, and saying, mm. oh, it should be like this. Mm. So you're, you're allowing the, the Sunnah of the Prophet, uh, which of course the Quran references as key to understanding the Quran in the first place, you're allowing that to interpret uh, or, or uh, be the lens through which you try, you uh, interpret and translate these words, whereas you're saying Abdul Halim is giving a more literal translation, a more yes. kind of academic translation, which doesn't make those other references in the act of the translation itself. Would that be a fair? I believe so. Yes. Summary? Interesting. Yeah. The the uh, Sunnah or the uh, Hadith, the statements from the Prophet, they supplement. The Quran. And this is why when we interpret different verses in the Quran, we look at what the Prophet said, his companions' understanding of the statements, the historical reasons to be able to choose the, the right words to translate. Okay. Um, just for uh, readers' benefit, um, Abdul Halim has also written this book, Understanding the Quran, Themes and Style. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole section uh, in this book, uh, uh, in the pages 45 or something onwards, which, trans uh, which discusses this very issue uh, in, in much academic detail. And much else besides, it's an amazing book, actually. I do uh, yes. recommend it uh, for further reference. Thank you for that. Um, the next question really is uh, the inimitability of the Quran. In Islam, the inimitability of the Quran is the doctrine which holds that the Quran has a miraculous quality, both in content and in form, that no human speech can match. Now, there is a particular uh, verse, 1788, which I will read from your translation, which says, uh, and you've headed it in italics, the Quran challenge. Say, O prophet... If all humans and jinn were to come together to produce the equivalent of this Quran, they could not produce its equal, no matter how they supported each other. That's 1788. Could you talk a little bit about this concept and how, and this is really my question, and how English-speaking people with no knowledge of Arabic can appreciate this claim, a claim that's often made in Dawa in uh, Britain um, by British people, obviously, to other British people who don't necessarily speak Arabic themselves. Thank you. I have to introduce my answer with a story. Please. And uh, it's a true story. I, I love stories. So uh, basically, uh, NASA hired a man with no education or training whatsoever to lead its uh, space missions. Uh, even though he couldn't read or write, he authored a detailed manual for sending astronauts to space, bringing them back and fixing the most complicated technical issues. Uh, even knew the secrets of space uh, that he knew before him. He predicted future discoveries and corrected mistakes in earlier manuals. And all space experts have been challenged to write a manual similar to his, but they failed. And he has been recognized by Time magazine as an expert or the greatest expert of all time on uh, space technology, artificial intelligence, and rocket science, and so on and so forth. So Paul will say, wait a minute, this is crazy. Doesn't make any sense. This is a fictional story. And I, I agree, it doesn't make any sense. So I made up this story to introduce uh, the, the fact that the Quran could not have been possibly made by the prophet for different reasons. Number one, he couldn't read or write. Mm. Even if he could read or write, the Bible was not translated during the time of the prophet. The first translation of the New Testament took place 400 years after his death. Uh, 
the Quran does not talk, uh, you know, say anything about some of the most difficult moments in the Prophet's life, like the death of his wife, Khadija, or the death of his son, Ibrahim, for example. Uh, if he wrote the, the, the Quran, like, what was the last time you read a book about someone like a dignitary or the queen? In that book, they criticized themselves. I did this, and this was not the best thing to do. I should not have done this. But in the Quran, the prophet is uh, criticized several times. And one of them is in chapter 80, in this incident with a blind man. And you can read chapter 80, uh, the first half of the story. Also, anyone who studies the style of the Quran and the style of hadith, the way the prophet spoke his statements like, none of you truly believes until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. This style is totally different from the style of the Quran, even though they came through the prophet. But the Quran, the word and the meaning came directly from Allah, inspired. But the hadith, the narrations from the prophet, the meaning is from Allah, but the wording is from the prophet. Anyone who speaks Arabic is not going to confuse both. Mm -hmm. uh, also, the prophet lived in the desert like 1500 years ago. Uh, no education, no civilization, no microscopes, no telescopes, nothing. How in the world could he come up with things like, the, you know, the expansion of the universe, which is stated clearly in the Quran, uh, how the baby develops inside the mother, how, the fact that everything came from water, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, so basically, if he had no training, no education, nothing, and how did he come up with these perfect teachings about family laws, inheritance laws, women's rights, human rights, animal rights, diet, health, business, counseling, politics, history, and so on and so forth. How in the world could he come up with something like this? Every single Muslim, whether you have a PhD from the University of Oxford or you can't read or write, we follow the example of the prophet and we follow his teachings and his teachings still hold till this day. You know, in, in the 1920s, during the Great Depression in the U.S., uh, the, the, the lawmakers in the U.S., they tried to ban alcohol, the sale of alcohol, the consumption of alcohol, and they couldn't. You know, thousands of people were thrown in jail. Millions of dollars were paid in fines. They couldn't stop the consumption and the sale of alcohol. The great majority of Muslims, 1.7 billion people, the great majority of them, uh, don't drink alcohol because of the one word from this man who lived and died 1,500 years ago. He said, don't drink alcohol. It's not good for you. Mm. So this is, this is something amazing. So when you look at all these things combined and the fact that he predicted future things and they actually came true and the fact that, you know, he corrected some of the mistakes in the Bible. I'll just give you one example. So basically, in the story of Joseph in the Quran, mm. the king of Egypt, the ruler of Egypt at the time of Joseph is called a king in the Quran, and is called a pharaoh in the Bible. And this is a, a clear mistake. If you read the Jewish encyclopedia, it says that the rulers of Egypt during the time of Joseph, they were the in, from the invading Hyksos, who ruled Egypt for like 200, 300 years. And it was not from Egyptian, you know, ancient Egyptian dynasties. They were not called pharaohs. They were called kings, right? He could not have possibly come up with something like the Quran. And this shows the, the miraculous nature 
of the Quran, it was revealed to him. It is not something that he made up. Yeah. I know when you read the Quran in English, the English translation, it, it doesn't sound miraculous. You know, it's not in an, uh, a chronological order like the Bible uh, and so on and so forth. But when you read it in the Arabic language, it is something else. And I always say that the difference between the Quran in Arabic and in translation is like the difference between eating fresh and canned food. <laughs> Completely different. I like that. that that's just clever. I mean, uh, there are, I only know a couple of surahs as well in Arabic, uh, and obviously I know them in English as well. And I can certainly agree that the, 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 the Arabic has the same meaning, uh, perhaps, as the English translations, but the way it's expressed, the beauty of language, it's very concise and so on, it is quite different. Uh, and that is completely lost, obviously, in any <laughs> translation to any, any language. Uh, it's just the yeah. way it is. The uh, style is lost. Yeah. Uh, the rhetorical devices are lost. The music is lost. The rhymes. Yeah. Uh, I tried to reflect some of the beauty in the English. Okay. But of course, I couldn't do this with the whole text. But every now and then you will find some rhymes, something, you know, very smooth, like chapter 55, verses 5 to 7. You know, in Arabic, it says, You can see the music and the, and the rhymes. The way we did it in the English, the sun and the moon travel with precision. The stars and the trees bow down in submission. As for the sky, he raised it high and set the balance of justice. So wow. we tried to keep, you know, some of the beauty in there, but, yeah. you know. That's just lovely. That's, uh, I didn't know you, you you tried to bring to retain some of the uh, the endings there. Uh, I just reminded I, I, a couple of years ago. I remember Professor, Professor Jonathan Brown alluded to an academic study, which I subsequently found actually by a couple of um, researchers. I th- they may have been from Turkey who used uh, the very advanced software uh, that could. Uh, uh, read and understand the sounds of languages, um, and uh, that, that that can indicate authorship. And they they process the Quran's language and they process Sahih Hadiths uh, in in this computer program, this software, which could detect authors if they're the same authors or two different authors or composite authors. And the program showed that the author of the Quran and the uh, Muhammad's speech are from two completely different sources. They're from two different people, so to speak. Um, now, it's interesting that e- even advanced technology has confirmed that. So because the subtleties of expression and intonation are easily betrayed in any, you know, if I try and speak in a different way, there's going to be some bits and pieces of me still in it, you know, my normal <laughs> speech. But that's not the case with the Quran. The Quran is actually not by Muhammad. It's not authored yes. by him. And likewise, the, his speech is not the same as the language of the Quran, according to academic research. It's a computer program, and I thought that was yes. that will that will not surprise any Muslims. Don't get me wrong, but yes. um, this is kind of indirect confirmation of the authorship of the Quran, uh, as you say, not being Muhammad, but being from another source. What that source is, of course, is up to you. But they're not by the same person. There's a different source, and and that is how the Quran reads anyway. If yes. you read it, as you say, it addresses Muhammad. It corrects Muhammad. It addresses mankind. It's not about Muhammad. It's about whatever it's about. Um, yes. Yeah. Fascinating. I agree. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, the last question I was going to ask is actually you've already covered it a little bit, but I'm asking: Is Islam compatible with science? 
um, there's a popular Muslim belief uh, that there are many scientific references in the Quran that have become known only in the past few centuries. Could you give us uh, a few examples of this phenomenon? You already have. Perhaps you could offer a a little bit of more expansive uh, information about those examples. Yes. So we believe that the Quran is not a book of science. Hmm. It's a book of science. The God is detailing, you know, these references in the Quran. And we believe that there are two Qurans. There is a Quran that you can see and visualize. It says in the Quran repeatedly, look around you. Look at this sign. And the, the Quran uses the word ayah to refer to a sign in nature, like the sun and the moon, the galaxies, and, you know, signs within yourself, your eye, how it functions, your heart, and so on and so forth. So these are visual signs. But it also refers to written signs in, in the Quran, the style of the Quran and the, the beauty of the Quran and, and so on and so forth. So there are many scientific references in the Quran. We mentioned how the baby develops inside the mother, which is something that has become known, at least in the West, in the last uh, century or two. Mm. Uh, the expansion of the universe, how the wind is used for pollination internal waves in the ocean. Nobody knew about this historically. It's mentioned in chapter 24. Uh, Everything is created from water. It says in chapter 6 that when you go up in space, your chest will be so constricted you can't breathe. And the prophet didn't go to space. He didn't go inside the ocean to see the internal waves and, and so on and so forth. So there are so many other, you know, details. Some of them have been confirmed by science. You know, some are debatable among scholars and so on and so forth. So, for example, at the end of chapter 27, it says that when you look at the mountains, you think they are firmly fixed, but they are floating just like the clouds. And this is the perfect design of God. It's a very powerful statement because every time God talks about his ability to bring people back to life for judgment, he always references some of the wonders the marvels of his creation in the universe. And in this case, he talks about the alternation of day and night. Then he talks about judgment day. Then he goes back to talking about Earth's rotation, how the mountains float just like uh, clouds. Uh, In chapter 21, it talks about how the Earth and everything else, they used to be one mass, then they were split apart. Some scientists say this is a reference to the Big Bang. Uh, But again, we don't know for sure. Uh, you know, maybe in the future, somebody is going to have a different theory. Uh, the Quran talks about the fact that, y- y- you know, the day and the night when they rotate, it says, layla. the word that is used to describe the movement of the day and the night comes from Qura. Qura in Arabic means ball. He makes the day and night rotate in the form of a ball. Interesting. Uh, in Surah Nazi'at, close to the end of the Quran, it talks about the earth being dahaha. Daha in the Arabic, the verb is used, daha, is when the ostrich, the bird, creates its uh, nest in the sand in the form of a circle. So he said that he daha, the earth, he made it look like a circle, and so on and so forth. He used the same verb that, you know, that is used to describe the nest. Uh, of an ostrich in the sand. There are so many other uh, references uh, in the Quran. I've just given you like a flavor, but if you go to the back of the clear Quran, uh, you can find a whole list, uh, page, yeah, page uh, 376, scientific references in the Quran. 
you know, how the, the word used for to describe the sun, it says a source of light. And when it talks about the moon, it says reflected light. Mm. The Quran is very specific when it talks about these things, how the mountains are used as pegs to stabilize the earth and, and so on and so forth. There are so many, you, you so many other uh, details. I didn't know about wind pollination. You mentioned that fingertips so that in the back of this um, uh, uh, edition, you, you have all the references here, wind pollination, mountains as pegs, iron sent down, pain receptors, the sun as a radiant source and the moon as a reflected light um, and, and internal waves, the preservation of Pharaoh's body, and so on. So, yeah, that's, these are the scientific references in yes. the Quran. They're very interesting. Well, thank you for that um, explanation. Um, thank you. As we perhaps draw to a close, um, what, what, um, what else have you published and what else are you working on in, in the area of the Quran? Thank you. I've dedicated the last uh, 10 years of my life to making the Quran accessible to people, especially the English-speaking world. So, of course, we have the original English translation, similar to one that you have. And it uses the word God because non-Muslims can relate to this one. For Muslims, we have the Arabic and English text together, and we use the word Allah. And we broke down the text, and I put titles to make it easy for people to understand what the passage is talking about, footnotes, historical background, to make it difficult, really, for Islamophobes to, to take things out of context, because mm. it has to be read in a context. Mm. And also, I did a translation of the Quran for kids, oh, ages seven and, and up. So based on a hadith from the Prophet in which he divided the chapters of the Quran into four sections. So he said the first section is made up the, of the long chapters, which deal mostly with rulings um, from chapter 2 to chapter 9, then from chapter 10 to chapter 28, which deal mostly stories, right. then uh, from chapter 29 to chapter 40, uh, 49, and they deal mostly with God's blessings, then from chapter uh, 49 to the end, they deal with faith and the next life. Hmm. So I divided the Quran for kids based on these four sections. So volume one was released two years ago. This Ramadan, this volume, this is the first copy in Canada, um, uh, will be released around Ramadan. It covers the, the third uh, volume because I'm starting from the back, the shorter chapters that kids usually memorize and study. Yeah, yeah. And over the next couple of years, inshallah, we'll, with God's help, we will do the rest of the Quran. And finally, uh, wow. this is very special. Uh, it was released last year. And basically, this is for our brothers and sisters who don't speak the Arabic language. I'm talking about 85% of Muslims. They don't yeah, speak yeah. or understand the Arabic language. Only 15% of Muslims are Arab. So basically, some of them complain, you know, we come to the prayers, the prayers are in Arabic, and we don't understand most of what is being recited. So, you know, this is a, a true situation that happened with me six years ago. So over the next five years, I've worked on this dictionary it's the first picture dictionary of the Quran covering the 2,000 roots, root words of the Quran. The Quran is made up of 2,000 roots. That's it. 2,000 roots repeated in different forms, verbs, nouns, and particles. And I connected the words that come from the same root. I use pictures 
And at the end of the dictionary, we have a poem. This is, this is very unique. This is the first time this has been done. A poem of nine pages. And these nine pages have the 2,000 roots of the Quran in a poem form, the rhyme. Amazing. So if you're a student of the Quran, you memorize those 249 lines of poetry or the ni uh, nine pages, you know all the roots of the Quran. It's, it's very easy. So this is basically for the non-Arabs who want to study the Quran in Arabic in four to six months. Depending on your pace, yeah. then you should be able to understand the whole Quran in Arabic. You don't need the translation anymore. That's amazing. Gosh, that's amazing. I'll, I'll link to that. Do you have a website as well that people can visit? Yeah, you can go to our website, theclearquran.org, theclearquran.org, and we can put it in the uh, description. And I'll, yeah, I'll certainly put that in, in the description. That's amazing. You're doing extraordinary work, sir. Um, thank you very much indeed. And um, well, thank that's you. it. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Mustafa Katab, for your time and your expertise and the extraordinary uh, work uh, that you're still doing on the Quran, making it accessible to uh, the English-speaking world uh, in Canada and Britain and elsewhere. So thank you very much thank indeed. You. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Until next Sorry. time. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.